When a decision needs to be made, it's a good idea to get some advice from those that are older than us. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Going to godly, wise men and women, older men and women, men and women that are older than us, that have been walking with the Lord longer, is a good source of counsel. Now, you young people, let me tell you something. You do not know as much as the elders do. That's why the Bible teaches us to respect our elders. Let me be careful, and that is not all elders give good advice, because the Lord has to confirm that advice. It has to be biblical. But I would say this, don't automatically dismiss counsel from those that are older. Which really, where does it begin? In the home. This is amazing grace. This is It's time once again for Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Aurora. Find your place in 1 Kings 12 and 1 Samuel 8 as we'll join Pastor Ed Taylor there momentarily. King Solomon has just died and the kingdom is divided at this point in time. Today, we'll pay particular attention to King Rehoboam's decision to reject good, solid counsel from the elders that served his father. When we're faced with the decision, it's always a good idea to allow those that are older in the Lord to speak into our lives and receive it when it's of God. Here's Ed to elaborate. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and 1 Kings chapter 12 as we start a new chapter after the death of Solomon. So far in our studies through the history of Israel, we've met the first three kings of Israel. The first king, his name was Saul. And the best way to describe Saul is that he was empty-hearted toward the Lord, dark-hearted. Then the king that took over after Saul was David. David, we could say his heart was full toward the things of God, committed. Solomon, the next king, David's son, well, his heart was half-hearted. He wasn't fully committed. And while David with his united heart toward God, he left to his son a united kingdom. Solomon, with a half heart toward God, leaves to Rehoboam a divided kingdom. Really in through, he left, he left Rehoboam a united kingdom, but through his upbringing with Rehoboam, the kingdom ends up divided tonight. The only reason the nation of Israel has a king is because they asked for it. They, they saw the other nations and they wanted to be like the nations. They were not satisfied with a theocracy. And that is God leading through godly men. But that God was the leader. Instead, they wanted like, they wanted a monarchy like all the nations around them. Even though, notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 8, even though God warned them how having a king would be detrimental to their lives. Notice with me in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots 
to be his horsemen. Some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make weapons of war and equipments for his chariots. Verse 13, this king will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he'll take the best of your fields, the best of your vineyards, the best of your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and will give it to his officers and servants. He'll take your men servants and your maid servants and your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He'll take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. Verse 18, you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. And nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that the king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. It happened. It happened because God's word is true. The Bible even says in such strong words, let God be true and every man a liar. God's warnings are true. God's wisdom is true. God's word is true. And even though they were warned, they still asked. Solomon disobeys God. The, the biggest act of disobedience was by multiplying wives, concubines, exactly what the king was told not to do. And he did. Why would the king told not to do this? Because they were warned, the king was warned, if you multiply wives, they're going to turn your hearts away from me and you're going to become idolatrous. What happened at the end of Solomon's life? He became an idolater. I mean, all, I think all the way through his life because he didn't just multiply all these wives overnight. It was the course of his whole kingdom. It was the course of his life. It was the legacy that he left to his son Rehoboam. And the nation will wrestle with the sin of idolatry through its entire history. And we see it picking up in 1 Kings 12. This will be a thorn in the side of Israel. Even now, as they separate between Israel and Judah, it will be a thorn in their side. Moving on. Pick up with me in chapter 11, verse 41. And the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it was when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. That they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole congregation of Israel came and spoke with Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we'll serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Shechem is up in the north area, in the tribe, the area that was given to the tribe of Ephraim. And this is where Israel goes to make Rehoboam king. We're not exactly sure why they did this because it would make more sense to anoint the next king in Jerusalem. Uh, but perhaps it was for political reasons. Uh, we don't know. But Jeroboam was sent for while this was taking place. 
And he comes sort of as a representative telling Rehoboam, he uses the phrase that your father, notice verse 4, made our yoke heavy. That little phrase encompasses everything that we read previously in 1 Samuel chapter 8. A large growing government is going to put a heavy burden on the people of that government. We call that today taxes. And the larger the government, the more taxes that are collected so that the government gets larger and the more taxes collected. That's what's happened with Solomon. He put a heavy yoke. With all his building projects, all that needed to be done, they needed to be paid for. And how were they paid for? But through the people. And it was hard and it was difficult. The kingdom under Solomon was very different than the kingdom under David. So the heavy yoke, the heavy yoke, for those of you that are new to the Bible, the word yoke is referring to a, a, a round wooden instrument that they would put on, on animals. It would have two holes in them and they would yoke together two animals to plow the field together. That's why in the New Testament, when it speaks of getting into relationships, whether it's a marriage or a dating relationship or even in a business relationship, David uses the same exact picture. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You can go ahead and Google it. Don't do it now because you're in Bible study, but you can Google it. It'll show you a picture of an ancient yoke. And the idea is, is that when you put an ox in one side of the, on one side of the yoke, you want to then yoke that or put that, that ox together with another ox. That way they will work together. You don't want to put a donkey in one side and an ox in the other side because then they wouldn't work together. So in that same picture, the yoke the yoke, that, that, that heaviness that was placed upon their necks was too much for them. Unlike, of course, Jesus, he uses the same exact illustration, doesn't he? He bids us to come to him as our savior. He bids us to come to us as the savior of the world. And he says, you come to me because my yoke, what I'm going to place upon you is much easier and my burden is light. Jesus has come to take burdens away from us, not add them. And that's the picture. That's the word. It's a yoke. You can Google it to get a picture of it later. So it was costly and expensive. It was difficult for the people. And, and this is how they're feeling. And Rehoboam is asking for, and he's receiving this kind of insight. Verse 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you'll be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the counsel which the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what counsel do you give? And how should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And the young men, verse 10, who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our, our yoke heavy, but you will make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father laid a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges. And so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king directed saying, come back to me the third day. The king answered the people roughly and rejected the counsel which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges. 
And so the king did not listen to the people for the turn of affairs was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Rehoboam, the king, is looking for counsel and he goes to do two different people. The first group of people he goes to were the elders, the wise men, the men that were with Solomon. Now, it's an interesting group to go to because the elders that were serving with Solomon were probably participating in the heavy yoke. They were probably giving counsel of what was needed, not necessarily to harm the people, but just the reality to pay the expenses of what was needed. But going to wise, older, godly men and women is a good choice. Let me lay that out for you. Going to godly, wise men and women, older men and women, men and women that are older than us, that have been walking with the Lord longer, is a good source of counsel. And that's what God is showing us here. The older men say, man, be gentle. It's been, it's been hard. Be gentle with them. If you are soft toed them, like the Bible says, a gentle answer, um, a, you know, a soft answer uh, reduces wrath. It stops wrath. If you will give them a gentle answer and a soft answer, if you will be soft with them, then, then they'll follow you. Serve them. Take care of them. It's been a hard years under your dad. And I think Rehoboam knew that. And, and take the softer approach. Then he turns from the council of the elders to the council of the younger, the kids he grew up with. Now, you young people, let me tell you something. You do not know as much as the elders do. That's why the Bible teaches us to respect our elders. Let me be careful, and that is not all elders give good advice. Because the Lord has to confirm that advice. It has to be biblical. So not, we don't get an automatic pass in the advice that we give you. Um, those of us that are older, ministering to you younger people, you, you may not receive that from us. You know, you, you may, we're not automatically right. God has to confirm the truth from his word. But I would say this, don't automatically dismiss counsel from those that are older. Which really, where does it begin? In the home. The Bible says for us to respect our mother and father. And so counsel from our mother and father from the word is to be accepted. We, we actually, as parents and as leaders, we, we actually have some good advice from you from the Bible. It's good advice. You may not want to hear it. You may not want to receive it. You may not even like it. But you have to trust it's from the Lord. You have to trust, for example, one piece of advice I'm giving to you young people is that your peers are probably going to agree with you. They're probably going to have counsel. Hey, hey, what do you think? Should we go party? Yeah, man. Let's go party. That's what I've been waiting for somebody to go with me. When what you need is, no, that's not from the Lord. We don't belong at that place. We belong in school. We belong in obey. You know, you know your mom doesn't want you. Yeah, that's the kind of counsel you get. But when you go to the kid, you know, when you're asking your friends, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. Let's go send together. And because they're your friends, you follow them. God has put older people in our lives. I have some older people in my lives, including my pastor, that I'll call so he could speak into my life. He can tell me what. I think the age also is even related not just to age chronologically, like how old we are, but also those that are older in the Lord, that have been in the Lord longer than us. 
We shouldn't just dismiss counsel because it's from an older person. I don't know what it is about us, but there is a sense in us because they're older. We, oh, you don't know. You don't, you're not connected with reality. You don't understand. Well, it's in those times you really have to take the counsel of those that are older and receive it, confirm it from the word, and make the right decision. The counsel from the elders was wise. It was a wise piece of counsel. Go gentle with them. The verse I was trying to quote is in Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath. It's Proverbs 15.1. But harsh words stir up anger. And the best leadership in the world was modeled by Jesus as he was a servant. And for the many years I was in the corporate world, I remember they would hire different consultants and different people to come in and they would get us all into a room as management and they would put up all the the PowerPoint and give us all the books and they were teaching us servant leadership. Like they're the ones that found it and they're the ones that created it. You won't believe this is the best thing for our company. It will make us billions and it'll have have the It's servant leadership and they were teaching it like they're the ones that invented it. But God is the model of servant leadership. It goes back into the Garden of Eden. I mean, it goes back into the creative process of the first seven days of creation where God served us by creating this world and creating us, creating Adam and his wife, creating a beautiful, pristine area, creating the animals and and all of creation. Why? To serve us so we might enjoy fellowship with him. And then even after Adam and Eve failed in such great sin, God, he went after them. Where are you? serving them, wanting to bring them back, all the way fast forward to your life and mine, where God would serve us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. But Jesus, he's the the epitome of servant leadership. And as we've been learning on the weekends, that, that is a key principle in our fellowship. We must be the servant of all. We don't arrive at some position, uh, we don't gain some title where we serve less. It's, it's the opposite. The more responsibility that God gives us, the more we serve. The more we give ourselves to the Lord. The more we lay our lives down until he comes again. And the advice they gave was wise. It was good. And, and God spoke that to him through the elders. Yet, the counsel that he received was, go hard on them, man. Just start ruling with force, rule with cruelty, rule with manipulation. And the sad thing is, is notice in verse 8, it's the bad decision that he makes. He rejected the counsel which the elders gave him. He rejected the counsel that the elders gave him. Or you could say from the conclusion, he rejected the good counsel of the Lord. And may I just say, when you receive good counsel, please don't reject it. As painful as it is, and as difficult as it will be, don't reject good, sound counsel. Because not only will it affect you, but it will affect, as you'll see, the generations after you. Receive sound counsel. I mean, anyone, even with just a basic understanding of treating human beings, could see, without any spiritual without any spiritual understanding, could see that serving people rather than hurting people is the right decision. That it's not God's will to rule with force or cruelty or, or power trips. Don't make it harder for people, but make it easier for them. And even in the church today, 
There is this model of ministry and people that believe that ministry is to be done through manipulation, through guilt, through fear, through power, through force, even cruelty to oversee people. I'm shocked at some of the stories that are shared with me in people's lives of how they were treated in a previous church or by someone saying they're representing God. I was just flipping through the channels the other day and this guy that has been exposed as the thief, I mean, even his commercial, even his little commercial, some of you might have seen it yourself, Peter Popoff giving away free miracle water. And then they go through an interview. Well, I I got my miracle water and God gave me $40,000. And I got my miracle water and God gave me my brand new car. And I got my, and so he gets on, you get your miracle water too for free. And you're just like, no. This guy's been exposed as a fraud many times before. And he's ripping people off in the name of God by giving them what they think is a free vial of water. Instead, they're going to be slammed with it and guilt and manipulated as soon as they get on the phone. And on and on the list goes. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and part of our new study in First Kings. Today's message is called A Divided Kingdom. And you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org or call and request the CD from us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. Look for the Calvary Aurora app and Grace FM Colorado app available on all platforms. They're free and a great way to fill up on the teaching of the Word wherever you may be. Ed, in today's lesson, you stressed how important it is to go to older godly men and women for counsel and receive it when it's from the Lord. Can you think of a time in your life when you did that and God blessed your life and that decision as a result? You know, Larry, one of the blessings that has occurred in my life over the years is to be surrounded by so many wonderful godly men that have walked the path before me. I just spent some time with a very good friend of mine and a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Downey, California. His name is Glenn Kravig. And I can't tell you how many times God used that man in my life uh, just to speak wisdom and reason and biblical understanding into my life in the midst of a hard decision. You know, many years ago, I was frustrated uh, and upset at Calvary Chapel, at the church I was attending uh, in Downey. That's where I was before I moved here to Colorado. And and it was really not a big deal. It wasn't that big of an issue, but in my mind, I had made it a big issue. I had uh, it, it blown up something in my mind that really had no basis in reality, you know, the spiritual warfare. And, and I had declared, I'm leaving this church. And he got wind of it and invited me into his office and began to speak life into me, asking me, what am I doing? Where am I going? And, and before the time was done in his office, uh, I had changed my mind. Um, I didn't need to leave the church I was in. I needed to leave my flesh. And I needed to humble myself before the mighty hand of God so that he might lift me up. And I mean, those stories can go on and on, whether it was advice that Pastor Skip Heitz gave me, advice that Pastor Greg Laurie personally gave me, whether it was advice Pastor Gino Geraci gave me, and on and on that list goes. Lloyd Pulley spoke into my life, and 
uh, John Randall, and even though I don't think John Randall's older than me, he's a godly, wise man. And, uh, and so I'm just grateful to be surrounded by godly men that God has used in my life to speak the truth. And I strongly encourage you guys to trust the Lord in the counsel that he gives you biblically from those trusted godly men in your life. Abounding grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's a book by Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn called Jesus Revolution. Some of you were alive to remember how God got a hold of an unlikely group of men and women in the 60s and 70s. You'll read the amazing story of the Jesus movement, an amazing time of mass revival, renewal, and reconciliation. Can God do it again? You bet. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.